0: The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. This means that we donate 1% of our time and 1% of our revenue to conservation. If you want to find out how you or your business can get certified or learn more about the organization, visit fishandwildlife.org. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy Friday, everybody. Hopefully, everyone is having a great week, getting jacked for the weekend. Uh, I have one of those weekends where I know there's a shit... ton of stuff that i need to do uh, but i don't want to do it because i've been busy the last god knows how many weekends doing you know family stuff christmas stuff um, did some traveling and it's good to be back home for a full weekend with nothing on the schedule i might go pull the trail camera that's that's as close to hunting activities as i'm going to be able to do But I will tell you this, it's going to be a good weekend and uh, it's okay to just sit and do nothing for a day. If you, if that's what you want. Now, what's going to happen is we're going to clean the house. Uh, We'll start, there'll be an argument with the kids about, uh, um, oh, I don't want to clean my room. Cleaning my room is so boring. Well, you should clean it up every day and then you wouldn't have to spend two hours and then it just goes back and forth all day. Um, And... (laughs) So we're gonna do some house cleaning. I really do need to organize my hunting gear and get all of that. I mean, my truck threw threw up in my garage after my second trip to South Dakota. So there is a lot of gear that needs to be organized, cleaned, hung up, put away. Because as of Sunday, yeah, pretty much Sunday, the hunting season, the, the archery season, the deer hunting season in Iowa is over. And uh, then we all start thinking about the next year, the next plans. I got to start thinking about my draw uh, in Wyoming if I'm going to put in my uh, put in my elk tags for elk preference points to hunt Wyoming. So I got a lot on my plate, and. All of that said, I still got to make sure that Sportsman's Nation is running clean. I just got off uh, a phone call with somebody from a different state. I'm not going to leak too much information right now, but uh, I made a I made an Instagram post where I was like, okay, Pennsylvania, New York, Colorado, California, and there might have been another state in there that I forgot. But anyway, I'm looking... For state-specific content to join the Sportsman's Nation. So if uh, you live in a state and you are a, a, an outdoorsman, you know you like to hunt, you like to fish, you like to go trap, or or uh, maybe you don't know how to do those things, but you are really good at asking questions and you have a passion for the outdoors. Hit me up, and I'd love to talk to you about starting a podcast on the Sportsman's Nation, man. So um, I don't know. I just kind of threw up all over this microphone nothing was consistent but that's what i do we have a really good episode today i'm, I'm not gonna lie we talk with a guy named matthew sherman from uh, central missouri and why i like this story is because he identifies a deer and he goes after it until it's dead and that's one of those it's one of those stories where it's just like oh messed up on him move He wasn't there move bad wind move set an observation stand you know recalibrate move and and you just keep moving and making uh being mobile leading to a successful kill and i'm telling you right now man you're gonna see more success when you do it that way unless you have the uh the privilege or the luxury of planting food plots and having you know ton of deer on your farm and and the ability to wait until late season and and uh you know but what what i like about this story is that it's almost like he just he was fluid in his decision making he was fluid in his his motion and it ultimately led to him killing this deer Uh, so it's a really good uh episode i i love the breakdown uh, before we get into today's episode, though, we got to do a commercial, and that is with Lone Wolf portable tree stands. Go to LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com to check out their their full lineup of tree tree stands, hang on tree stands. I think they have a, I know they have a climber tree stand. Um, they're they're climbing sticks. But I'm telling you right now, man, if you want to get mobile in your approach to hunting. Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands is the place where you want to start look, start your, your search as far as gear is concerned. Made in American products, they are quiet, they are easy packable, they're lightweight, and straight up, they give you the ability to move in and kill deer, just like the guy did on today's episode. He's talking about being mobile, and that is what Lone Wolf allows you to do. So, uh, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. Uh, take a look at their lineup. Uh, I'm telling you right now, uh, it's just, it's it's badass. And I feel very confident. It's one of those pieces of gear where I feel very confident using that product because I have so much experience with it, where now it's just like a a fifth appendage where I get to the tree, I'm up, hunt, tear down, go. Just up and down, up and down, move, move, move. And that's what uh, Lone Wolf allows you to do. So uh, take a look at that. And uh, if you want to spend a little money and you got some Christmas card money left over or some Christmas... uh, I got the discount code right here in front of me. But uh, if you have some uh, uh, gift card money left over or you got some cash for Christmas, go to their website, enter the discount code 9FC50, and you're going to get $50 off of your purchase on an order over $200. So you spend $200, you're getting $50 off. And uh, man, that'll get you... uh, um, a stand a discount if you buy a stand a discount if you buy a set of sticks and uh, that's a win dude so there's that all right enough talking I've talked too much already let's get into today's uh, consistency kills big bucks episode with Matthew I forget the dude's last name man this is embarrassing Matthew, 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 Matthew. His name's Matthew. He's from Missouri. And uh, Matthew Sherman is his name. That's embarrassing. But Matthew Sherman, here we go. Three, two, one. All right, on the show with me today, Mr. Mr. Matthew Sherman. Matthew, how we doing, man?
1: Not too bad, Dan.
0: Cool, cool. So... um, you reached out to me a while ago through Facebook, and you're like, "Hey, man, I got a story for you. Uh, it was hot as balls when I shot my buck, and uh, <laughs> that's the that's the that's the story that we're going to go through today uh, on how you harvested uh, this. This was from this year, right?
1: Yeah, yep. and hot was an understatement. I uh, I thought I was going to get sick by the time we got him out of the woods and everything.
0: Gotcha so uh uh, we have a good story ahead of us but before we get uh rocking and rolling on that why don't you talk to us a little bit about where you live and then what do you do for a living all
1: right um i live in uh southwest missouri a little town called lebanon And for those of you who aren't familiar with missouri if you drew a line between like st louis and uh springfield which are two big cities here we're somewhere kind of in the middle there um I work retail sales. I have uh, two little boys, and I got a third kid on the way—a uh, little girl. We're expecting in April, uh, right around turkey season, actually. Okay. So I gotta <laughs> make some plans for that. But I actually have to spend my time pretty wisely because uh, between work and family, uh, sometimes I don't get a lot of chances to get out. Yeah. And uh, the times I I do get to get out, you know, have to be pretty targeted. Uh, they, I got to make the best of the time I have, kind of situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. First off, congratulations on uh, another child coming your way, man. Uh, third third is a game changer, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we, uh, for some reason, I had just had it in my head that it was going to be another uh, little boy. So it was uh, quite the shocker because every, every male in my family seems to have uh, little boys. Uh, my dad's dad, my dad, me, some of my brothers, like we all seem to have boys. And so a girl was uh, quite the wild card.
0: Yeah, I tell you what, um, there's good things and there's bad things about both, but uh, there's something about having a little girl, a little baby girl that you get a hold in your arms, and you know, like you really, you really feel like a protector, if that makes sense. Like I'm gonna protect this little thing for its entire life.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of nervous and excited to uh, see what that's all about.
0: <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> now, uh, uh, another question, uh, Lebanon, right? That's the name. Is it Lebanon or Lebanon?
1: Uh, people, I you know, technically I don't know, but I hear people call it both. I call it Lebanon.
0: Okay. So that's right on the Lake of the Ozarks, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. So I'm,
1: prob- I'm probably like a 30-minute drive from Lake of the Ozarks. and Okay. It's uh There's not a lot of public land around there, but you can. uh, There's a lot of like public access as far as like fishing and stuff like that. So I'm down there quite a bit.
0: Yeah, in my younger days, uh, when I didn't have you know a girlfriend or a wife, I used to visit the Lake of the Ozarks uh, quite often during the summer months. And uh, I remember driving through that town because does does that part of that town actually butt up against the lake, or is it? Am I thinking of someplace else?
1: no it does there's okay. uh there's Camdenton and there's there's Camdenton and then there's Osage Beach and both of those places are considered like they're they're both towns that border Lake of the Ozarks and they butt up right next to each other and both of those towns kind of butt up next to the lake
0: yep yep absolutely so I remember you know driving you know being down in that area and hitting up Party Cove and all of the you know the bar oh, yeah. all the bars <laughs> on the the lake and doing all that crazy stuff and you know some what
1: you're trying to say is you don't remember a whole lot of the lake. Right.
0: right, What I was (laughs) you took the words right out of out of my mouth because I some of my best memories and memories I'll never remember came from that that lake.
1: Yeah, I guess pretty wild down there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um let's talk a little bit about about this deer and uh, uh, your I guess your, your typical hunting year, do you, was this deer harvested in Missouri then?
1: Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, here in Lebanon.
0: Yep. Okay. All right, cool. So, uh, was this on a, a piece of public ground, a piece of private ground?
1: This was actually private.
0: Okay. Private. Okay. So I know that around there it's thick timber, you know, in that area, um, just from memory around the lake, it, you know, coming in and out of there is a, a lot of you know, big, I don't want to call it mountains, but big hills, thick timber. Is that similar to what uh, the the properties that you hunt are like down there?
1: Yeah, I do. Most of my hunting actually takes place on the Mark Twain, but I do have access to one piece of private that's like five or six minutes from town, which is the piece I ended up taking this buck on. Yep, And that a lot of the public and a lot of the private that we have access to, unless you're, you know, next to a hayfield or something like that, it's going to be a pretty high stem count timber. Um, and it's going to be pretty rolling hills. I mean, not a lot of it's flat. Uh, now, where I'm at, we're not as hilly as like Lake of the Ozarks, but we're not we're not close to flat either. We're somewhere in between.
0: Gotcha. So is there a Lake lot- of the
1: Ozarks has some monster hill. Yeah. We just don't. You know, right in this area, we don't have any to
0: get that crazy. Okay, so you're up out of that. Uh, you're up out of that lake system, then. Yeah, okay. for sure. All right. So, uh, is there any ag up in that area, or for the most part, just that thick timber? No,
1: we we have a lot of pasture land, but a lot yeah. of it's used for cattle and hay fields. We don't get uh, hardly any crops. In fact, I can probably count on my. I, I can probably think of five different places that maybe plant corn. Uh, none of which I have access to, but there's just not a lot of corn or soybeans or anything like that that gets grown yeah, uh, in this area anyways.
0: Okay. So specifically talk about the, the property then that, um, that you do most of your hunting on, uh, how many acres do you have access to in that area? Um, talk about the, the terrain features, some of the predominant terrain features and how you, you go about, uh, I guess the strategy that you, you kind of use throughout a given season.
1: Okay. So the, the public land that I run around on, it's just a Mark Twain and it covers a, a giant swath across Missouri. I'm not even sure how many acres it is, but it's, it's too many. I mean, you'd never be able to scout and hunt at all. So, yeah. um, and the Mark Twain, it does get into some of those like uh, lake and river uh, hill systems. I mean, it, it can get pretty gnarly and uh, it can get pretty thick. A um, lot of high stem count timber. Uh, and then depending on where you're at too, um, you'll run into a lot of, uh, ridges that'll be covered in cedars and, and things like that. Uh, the particular piece that I took this buck on, uh, it's about a 200 acre piece and there's probably four neighbors that border of it. All of them have permission to be on it. Uh, there's probably four or five other guys that can be on it and it has, uh, dirt road access on one side and pavement road access on the other. So they get a decent amount of poaching that they have to call in for every year too. But uh, it has a decent amount of topography to it. There's some really deep ravines and drainages and uh, a couple of big ridges that cut across it. And it has some really thick, uh, high stem count timber, like we're talking about. And so it, regardless of all that, it it holds some really nice deer every year. Uh, On one side of it, it has, a pretty big hayfield. I would say it's about 60 acres and it's split up into three different sections by uh, two rows of CRP. On the very bottom side, uh, there's what used to be a hayfield that has kind of started to grow back with like uh, saplings and and thorns and uh, uh, small cedar trees and stuff like that. It's almost impenetrable, but on the very bottom of it, uh, there's really, really good bedding that's that's kind of hard to get to and hard to hunt. Uh, you can be walking through it and hear stuff tearing out of there and never even see it. And I'm talking at the end of season when everything's on the ground and, and stuff is easy to walk through and easy to see. And it's still that thick at that time of year. There's a dry creek bed that runs down the uh, east side of it. It kind of runs northeast. Um, and in that creek bed, there's a decent amount of bedding cover, too yeah um but yeah kind of kind of like your standard uh you know little place that someone ran some cattle on it's got a couple of hay patchers on it and uh, it's got one high line that runs through it for a short distance but most of it is uh pretty heavily timbered with uh oaks and hickories and stuff like that
0: okay so with all that said then does you know with it being pretty thick and nasty in there hello All right. So you mentioned that it's real thick and nasty in there. Does that translate into a lot of deer, uh, on that property?
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of the most deer dense properties I've, that I've ever personally stepped foot on. Um, in fact, I've been recently, I've, there's a a doe that I've been chasing in the late season that has four white feet. Um, never seen nothing like that before. It's pretty cool, but, uh, every night that I've seen her, I've seen at least 12 other deer and okay. that's not an uncommon sit in that property. If you see one, you're likely to see 10.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's so, a, yeah,
1: there's definitely,
0: that's a good definitely thing.
1: Definitely a lot of deer on there.
0: Yeah. So, uh, from the, from the food then, um, obviously with it being a lot of, you know, a high stem count timber, uh, there's probably plenty of, you know, plenty for them to eat in there. Uh, is, is that hay field, uh, a, a destination for them or do they kind of just chill in the timber most of the time?
1: Um, at different times of the year, like really, really early in the season before the acorns start dropping, you can catch them, uh, coming out to those hay fields, uh, And then late, late in the season, like where we're at now, uh, that's where I've been uh, chasing that doe around at.
0: Okay. Um, but in
1: the, in the middle of the season, when the acorns and stuff are dropping, you won't hardly see them out
0: there. Right. So, uh, before season starts and, and damn near after the season's over, uh, that's, (laughs) that's when they're visiting that hay field. But in, in, during the hunting season, they, they stick to the timber. Right. Okay. All right. So um, are there any specific ridges or terrain features in there that they like to hang out at and and, and just stay there most of the time, or do they travel uh, good distances in there?
1: You know, it kind of changes year to year. I mean, if you're talking about just deer in general, uh, there's I call them, you know, a couple of doe holes that I have in there where I can always go and I'm, I'm going to see some deer. But if you're talking about bucks, it kind of changes year to year depending on where the acorns are dropping and uh, uh, maybe like how thick a certain area is. Because some areas in there, you know, just this, and this is true with any woods that you hunt. it'll change over time. Uh, stuff that starts to grow is going to be thicker. And then as it starts to get taller, you know, it'll thin out. But it just kind of changes year to year. There's there's never one spot I can go to and be like, oh, I'm, there's going to be a buck in there for sure.
0: Yeah. Does that property, you know, it sounds like there's a couple doe groups on that property, but does it hold bucks?
1: Yeah. Uh, there Early season uh, rut activity and then late season, there is usually a buck or two in there to chase.
0: Okay. All right. So um, with all that said then, you know, before, before the season starts, do you do any type of food plots on that property or, or not?
1: No, we're not allowed to touch it. We can't uh, take trucks in there or anything like that. Um, we're not allowed to alter the property in any way. So it's kind of what, what I see is what I get there.
0: Yep. Okay. So then, uh, do you run trail cameras?
1: Sometimes, Sometimes. Uh, I've had some trail cameras stolen off of that place because they have a problem with poaching from time to time. And yep. then with so many people having access to it. Um, I, I mean, I will, if I, if I see some sign and I really want to know what's making it um, or, or, you know, say I walk up on a, a really nice scrape, I will put a trail camera in there from time to time, but it's very rare. And when I do, I make sure that I put it at least to stick high.
0: Yeah. Are uh, you know, there's this misconception out there that private is easier to hunt than public. And uh, I'm sure you can, you can tell me that that's probably not true. And even some of my spots in Iowa, there's a lot of traffic uh, on some of the places that I hunt and, Uh, the the one place that's closer to home. Every time I go out there, I learn about someone else who has permission to hunt that farm. So, so it's just like, uh, okay, uh, who's, you know, what am I going to run into? There's tree stands all over it, but there's still decent deer there. Um, compared to some of the other places that you hunt, is that farm a good farm given the amount of people who hunt it?
1: Me and a couple of the buddies that hunt it sometimes have conversations about whether or not it's worth it to keep hunting it, if that answers that question. (laughs) It's rough at times. Uh, Last year, in the middle of the rut, um, I had uh, one of the landowners or someone who had permission, I can't exactly remember, pull up almost right under my tree and fire up a chainsaw. Um, And I was like, no big deal. This is a good spot. I'll come back, you know, tomorrow or the next day. And then I see a, a dog running around just everywhere, you know, so that yeah. spot just got blown up. And there's been, you know, an instance or two, like I've only had access to this place for, this makes the third year that I hunted it. Okay. Um, and there's been crazy stuff like that that's happened every year. Uh, No one's been unfriendly ever, but there's a lot of times you'll be like sitting there at prime time or you know, the morning is just starting to heat up and and something happens like that and it just kind of blows the morning up. Uh, That's happened quite a bit there.
0: Yeah. Is this one of those farms where the landowner gives everybody and their dog permission to hunt? Pretty much, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Every neighbor in this place has like uh, four to five places that touch it. And then, you know, the neighbor's kids and anyone who knows the neighbor, that kind of thing.
0: Gotcha. All right. So uh, so it's one of those, you know, if you hit it on the right day, it could be good but if you hit it on a bad yeah. day, you might see 50 people.
1: Yeah. Well, probably not that much, but right, right. yeah, it's uh yeah, it can be bad some days. Last year was a, a good example. I hunted that place pretty hard last year. I uh, seen a couple of good bucks that I was after and just had a really bad luck uh, and didn't end up, you know, taking anything on that place.
0: So are you hunting this place specifically because it's close to home? Sometimes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, But mostly because it holds good deer.
0: Okay. So, so given the fact of everything that we just said, it still holds good deer.
1: Yep. There's little pockets in there and the pockets kind of change year to year depending on, you know, where different people are hunting Uh, and myself, you know, I, sometimes I can put more pressure on that place than I'm really supposed to. But if you can find those little pockets and that thick stuff that they're into, you're going to be into deer on that place uh, pretty much every set.
0: Yeah. So talk, talk to me about how you do that. How, how do you find these little pockets that change from year to year? Because I feel like that is a very important piece that not a lot of people talk about. It's like, everybody goes to their same spots. And if another person moves into that area, they just kind of still stay in their same spot. They don't, they don't go looking for the pockets or how the deer movement has changed. So how do you go about identifying those new pockets?
1: a lot of boots on the ground and a lot of, uh, wa- well, some people would call them wasted sits. I call them observation sits. I'm not, I'm not the most analytical person out there. I'm not really good at, you know, seeing sign and deciphering it and looking at maps and picking out spots. I, I'm like, ai I consider myself a tenacious hunter. Uh, I'll basically just sit until I lay eyes on something that I want to chase. And then I'll start, you know, kind of like spokes on a wheel, just, hunting around that position based on the wind until I catch up with whatever it is I was trying to catch up with. Yeah. But a lot of, a lot of observation sits, you know, I'll put, I'll put myself, you know, I don't purposely put myself out of the game, but a lot of nights I am out of the game on purpose, just so I can sit back and see what's going on Yeah. and then dive in with a more like a tactical approach. Once I have more information.
0: Right. So how, how would you say how many, how many of those observation sits, do you feel like you 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 do before you actually go in for something like a kill set where you're you're making a move in in there and 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 based off of that, I'm assuming you're you're mobile in your setup.
1: Yeah, I actually rock uh, an XOP vanish and hockey helium sticks. I most of the time I end up sitting in a different tree every time I go in. Um, I would. If I see a buck, I'm in there the, the very next time. I don't wait for a second, because that pattern may not repeat itself. Yeah, um, You kind of got to strike while the iron's hot in that regard. So if I see something, I try to make a mental note of where I think it came from, and then I'll pull up a topographical map and you know see if what I think aligns with what the terrain is showing, and then I'll make a play the very next time. And if I blow something out or he's not there, then I'm on to the next place that looks like it could hold that deer or where he came from.
0: Gotcha. So let's say, let's say, uh, and this is just uh, like hypothetical. You, uh, you watch a buck come out of a a draw or whatever and, and, or a terrain feature and and you're on one of your observation sits and you make you, you're on a specific wind and all this stuff, but then overnight or before the next time you go in there, uh, the wind shifts how do you how do you make that uh, that play after the wind shifts,
1: if at all possible? Am I already set up and then the wind shifts like no, during no. the hunt, or no, are you talking about hunts. like I have a plan?
0: Yeah, so it's like oh, okay, you saw I the like I have a plan. yeah, you just saw this buck over on a on a different ridge, and you're you know because you just said hey man, I, now I got to go make a move on him because I saw where he's gonna go where he came from um, between the, now and then. How do, you, how do you address a wind shift?
1: If at all possible, I'll try to hunt that same spot. But maybe if I can't go in the typical way that I would go to, I will try to come in from a different angle. Okay. Um, if that's not an option, I'll go to a different spot and just kind of wait for the next good chance I have.
0: Yeah, I like that.
1: Now, if it's, if it's going to be, you know, if I can see the forecast and it's a week and a half before I get the right wind, I'm going to make a play regardless of whether the wind's good or not. Yeah. Yeah. Because he may not, you know, they, they don't stay in those patterns for long usually. So right. it, it's all just dependent, but if, if I can, I'm going to try to approach it from a different angle. If I can't, I'll probably wait until the timing's a little bit better.
0: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of if a deer is in an area, he's in an area and you, it's going to be on you, the hunter to find out how to, access that area given whatever wind is thrown at you. And maybe uh-huh. he maybe he leaves the area when the wind shift or maybe he just hangs in that same area but uses a different trail or whatever. So uh I like that I like the fact that you try to you know your your first your first uh go at it is try to identify a new access route into the area given the wind wow. variable. So uh, uh that's you know that's that's what I try to do whenever given the opportunity. And if it's uh if it's a, a drastic wind or a wind shift and uh, I don't have access or I, I, I can't access that area given the wind shift, then I play off again and uh, then just wait for the, you know, for the right timing. So um, how much do thermals play a role in the, the farm that you hunt?
1: In some places, a lot, you know, in some of the places with a lot more terrain. And then in some places that are a little bit flatter, not so much. It just kind of depends on how stiff the wind is, too. If it's a still day, uh, I pay a lot more attention to them than if there's like a consistent, steady wind blowing in one direction, then I'll kind of overlook them if I can.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and but I, that's
1: something that yeah, the thermals are kind of hard to, there's something you're, I feel like you're always learning about, too. So, yeah. You can make a plan for, for what you think that stuff is going to do in a certain area. And then you can get in the stand and drop something and, and it'll blow your mind yeah. what it's doing. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I still think predominant wind plays a bigger role for the most part than thermals do. Cause if the wind is, is stiff and you know, if the, if there's no wind, then, you know, obviously, uh, a, a good morning, warmer uh, morning thermals are going to rise. But if you have a predominant wind that is pushing against those thermals, let's say you're on the the, the back end of uh, a ridge and the wind's coming over top of you, you know, those thermals are, aren't probably going to be as, I don't know, uh, as uh, something to worry about as opposed to the, the main wind direction. So, yeah. Um, all right, so so that's a little bit about, about your strategy and on how you kind of approach, you know, a lot of, a lot of sitting off, but then making that calculated strike when the time, uh, you know, the opportunity presents itself. Let's talk about, about specifically the buck that you shot this year. Um, you don't really run trail cameras. So, uh, I, I take it you don't have a good idea of the bucks that are in your area. Do you, Do you follow deer at all throughout the seasons or do you just say, man, whatever's there is there?
1: Kind of whatever's there is there. And I usually go into the season with a plan. My plan going into this season was there's a stretch on the Mark Twain I hunt that butts right up to the river. And in the early season, uh, this place is about 10 to 15 degrees cooler than everywhere else. And so it, it attracts a lot of deer. Plus there's a lot of browse and stuff in there before the acorns drop. So my plan for this season was I was going to stage hunt that river bottom until I laid eyes on something that I wanted to kill and then go after it a little bit more aggressively. Okay. So as I was kind of gearing up for that, I, I was driving out to the property that I have access to to speak with the landowner to make sure everything was still good. I happened to glance out into one of the hay pastures right at dusk and see the buck that I ended up shooting And that kind of altered my plans because I'm like, hey, there's one right there. I got to go after that one.
0: Okay. Was this during or before the season?
1: This was a couple of days before.
0: Before the season. Okay. So you're driving to go talk with the landowner. You see this buck on the property that you can hunt. What does your mind do at that point as far as, okay, he's there. He's there. Now I I want to switch over to this property and start hunting this deer. How did your mind... Or, or your strategy? Um, how, how did you imply that strategy from that point?
1: Uh, early, early in the season, at least in my experience, and then listening to a lot of guys on podcasts like this when they say that if you see a deer doing something early season, a lot of times they're going to repeat that. Yep. So he was actually only about probably 20 yards off the road, and he was in front of this little island of trees, and they were small hickories and. I think there was probably some, some small sycamores in there. Um, my first thought was, can I get a stand in any of them trees? Because if he comes and these trees are probably a good 150 yards away from any of the other timber on the place. And, and right next to the road, this, this little island of trees, it's probably 20, 20 yards wide by maybe 10 yards long. Really small piece. And he's standing right in front of it. It's the only cover between him and the road. And the terrain kind of dips down right there too, so you can't see it as you're approaching it. Uh, you can only see it as you pass it from the vehicle. So he he's kind of got a little pocket there where he's sheltered, um, unless you happen to pass and look back. So my first thought was, can I get a tree in there? And what when do I need to hunt that? Yeah. My second my second thought was, if I sit in that tree opening day, even if he doesn't come out of there, if he's still coming out into these you know this hay pasture, I'll probably get a really good idea where he's uh, coming out of the big timber from. And even if I don't kill him opening night, I can uh, make a play on him like the next day or something like that. That was my initial thoughts when I seen him out there.
0: Okay. So this Missouri's opener is September 15th, right? Uh, Yes. Yep. Okay. So you're, we're, we're talking before uh, a majority of the Midwest opens Uh, you, you guys get a first crack, you know, like uh, Iowa's October 1st. So you guys, you know, sometimes have those, uh, those Indian, those Indian falls where it gets, you know, or what do they call those Indian summers where it's summer. all Indian summer. Yeah. So it, it, yeah. it can get pretty warm, uh, that time of year still. So, uh, you see this deer, right? You know, you have permission to go hunt it, right? You, you just explained to us your thought process of how you were going to, um, approach that deer when the season came to. Right when when the fifteenth got here, opening day, what did you do?
1: Uh, opening morning, I went out to that same spot of uh, public on river uh, river bottom land that I was talking about, yep. and uh, I had to sit out there. Uh, a couple of like the night before season, I actually went out to my dad's, and I have a tree. He's got ten acres that I shoot out of, um, and I, I set my stand up in the tree, and I was just fixing to crawl up into it. And right at the base of it, I noticed a gigantic crack. Uh, and if I would have stepped into it, I'm sure it would have uh, came apart on me. Um, so I contacted uh, uh, having a brain fart here. XOP, sorry. I contacted XOP, and they said, no problem. We'll get you another one on the way. Uh, probably be a couple of days. Um, long story short, that ended up being closer to a month. And the only mm. other stand I had to rock was a big game hunter. Uh, stand that I've just kept around in case someone else wants to go hunting with me. Uh, it's extremely heavy. It's clunky, but I was able to make it work. Uh, I also forgot my headlamp the uh, <laughs> the first morning I went out. So I, I went probably a mile back and it was some of the wooliest, nastiest stuff. And I, I only had a cell phone light and I'm carrying this big stand and I'm like, this year is starting off with a bang. I can tell. So, but it actually ended up being a pretty good morning. Uh, seen a few deer, nothing, no, no bucks. I didn't lay any eyes on any bucks, but I had a, a bunch of does come within range and get my heart pumping, and it was a good morning, anyways.
0: Yeah. So, so your your run gun setup was no longer as you know as efficient as you thought it was going to be because of the because of the damaged uh, XOP stand, right? Yes. and
1: it was i'm a i'm a process person i i develop a a system over time that with that stand that i'm very very comfortable with and this this thing wasn't even close like it was loud it was heavy it was clunky it was hard to level it creaked and popped it was just terrible
0: Yeah. (laughs) yeah so so then So then obviously that morning hunt uh, was a learning process to try to use this new equipment. Um, Did you think to yourself, man, I need to buy a different tree stand or get something, you know, get some new equipment? Or were you just going to ride out until they were going to, you know, send you back uh, a different stand?
1: Initially, I was just going to ride it out because it was only supposed to be a couple of days. Yeah. And they ended up contacting me because it was right before season. And they said, Hey, that stand is on back order. We just don't have one. We can send you, uh, we'll get you one as soon as we can. And so there was no time limit. Yeah. Uh, so I, I ended up just writing it out uh, yeah. and it didn't end up being quite a month. I think, I think I had my stand back. Oh, probably it ended up being two weeks in total. I was without it. Okay. Something like that.
0: Still that sucks. I mean, especially when you see, yeah. you know, the you know i don't even know what what happens uh about the buck that you were that you know you saw in that hay pasture but now you know you don't have that stand that you you want you don't have the equipment that you feel confident with um so when did you actually make a play on that particular buck that you saw in the hay fields
1: open and night i went back to that same island of trees okay and i actually I parked a ways away and walked down to that little island of trees and I stomped my way in from the back of it, which was a lot harder than I thought it was gonna be because it was just super thick. Uh, with like buck brush and thorns and stuff like that. And the only trees inside of it were like really rough barked very small diameter hickories and, and things like that. But luckily like the nearest set of timber was so far away it, I didn't have to be quiet getting into it. Yeah. But uh it actually took a little bit to, to pick a tree out because the trees were small and the canopy was like really low. So it took me about 15 minutes to be able to find a spot with an opening that I didn't have to trim. Cause I don't do any trimming or anything like that. Um, it took me a long time to find a spot that had an opening. I could actually shoot to where I thought those deer were going to be. Uh, but I finally got up there and, and set up. And uh, about an hour later, I started seeing some deer filter out. There was a, a four point, a spike and a couple of does. And, uh, I start glassing, uh, where the, they came from and then it doesn't take long. And I see a big buck out in the field and I'm like, Hey, there he is. This might work.
0: How, how far away are you from these deer at that point?
1: Probably about 150,
0: 150 yards. They're,
1: they're just, yeah, they're just on the edge of that timber. Okay. Uh, and, and I mark where they come out at. I'm like, okay, regardless of whether I kill one of these things tonight, I know where they come out at now. So if I don't kill one today, I know where I'm sitting tomorrow.
0: Okay, so you identified that. Um, what happened the rest of that night? I mean, just a, just an observation shit uh, sit or did anything else happen?
1: I kick in the nuts. <laughs> so <laughs> those deer eventually start uh, kind of feeding towards me and then they'll go back and they'll feed towards me and then they'll go back and there, there was that constant tease that happened for like an hour. Yeah. Well, a, a bigger buck actually shows up, and this is the one I, uh, that I believe I ended up killing. But a a bigger buck than the one that's currently out in the field shows up and runs the other one off. And it kind of like gets all the, the other deer worked up a little bit and they make uh, about a 60 yard sprint closer to me. So now they're about 60 or 70 yards. The whole group is minus the buck that just came in and ran the other one off. He starts heading that way. And he actually stops on a a fence row to like work a, a lifting branch and a scrape. And then he turns around and uh kind of starts slowly feeding towards me. And when he when he puts his head down for the last time, he's at about sixty yards away. Okay. And so at this point, I'm I'm thinking it's gonna happen. I've got my camera turned on and pointed towards him because I, I self-film all this stuff. And uh, I'm just waiting for him to probably close the gap about twenty five more yards and we're in business. And it's getting kinda kinda late in the evening too. I'm starting to wonder if he's gonna make it over there before closing time, which is its own set of problems, because that's the last thing I want is a deer in front of me that I can't see and, and blow him out of that area. Well, he starts um, he starts feeding towards me a little bit faster, and I'm like, this is going to happen. And I hear a car coming from behind me. Oh, no.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, you can kind of tell where this is going. So he passes uh, the little island of trees that I'm in. It's a, a, a little Ford Explorer or something, uh, Chevy, no, some kind of little SUV like that. Um, passes me and then just drills on his brakes. I mean, he probably slides like 10 feet and I, I know what <laughs> happened. He got past that Island and he's seen that buck. Yeah. And then I see a head pop out of the window with binoculars and he throws his car in reverse and, uh, gooses it a little bit and he's, his tires spin out a little bit. And then he backs up, uh, probably within 20 yards of where I'm sitting. Cause I'm right on the road. Yeah. And he starts looking at these deer and, and, obviously it doesn't take long. Those deer are only 60 yards from the road. And that guy just slammed on his brakes and threw it in reverse. Uh, they tear out of there. Damn. So that ended uh, night one for me.
0: Damn. That, uh, t- did that guy take off before you got out of the tree stand? I mean, did you try to, uh, like, like wave at him or anything with you being so close?
1: No, no. I, I had a couple of thoughts on that. One, I, I don't think he knew anyone was there. I'm in full camo and my yeah. truck wasn't parked anywhere near. So I didn't think it was malicious. And it's a, you know, I, heck, I do the same thing sometimes. Right. I, I maybe have done that to someone else accidentally. So it, it was frustrating, but I didn't get angry about it. And yeah. then the second thing was, is that deer's close enough to me. He may see me if I start waving my arms. And right. My spot isn't necessarily blown yet because cars drive by here all the time he's used to seeing that he is not used to seeing a guy in a tree right there yeah. so
0: yeah all right so that night ends uh not the way you wanted it to um what was your next move then
1: so that the following night i uh looked at the wind i had and the spot that they came out of and i made an adjustment and uh ended up setting up in a really really big oak tree and in fact it was a bear to set up in because it was almost too big for me to get my my uh, straps around for my sticks on my stand yeah so it takes me a minute to get set up and this time I got to be quiet because I'm on that timber line um and I had kind of noted which way I thought those deer had came from and I, I set up with my wind accordingly and the night is pretty uneventful until right before dark and I have a, a group of does in that same spike and that same four point all pile out right in front of me at about 30 yards okay and
0: how far stand up. at this point how far are you away from the original spot in that field?
1: I'm about 150 yards from where I first set up. Good. Not as far as where those deer came out of. I'm right on top of it. Right. I am right. just I'm I'm probably 10 yards downwind of the trail that I I thought they came out of that night.
0: Okay. Continue.
1: So I I set my tree stand up where I can shoot uh where I expect the deer to come out from without standing up. And so all those deer pile out into that field. I got my bow in my hand. I got my camera on and pointed that away and I got my uh, release on the, the bowstring and I'm just waiting for that deer to, you know, that one of the bigger bucks to step out and uh, hopefully give me a shot. And it never happens Uh, right before quitting time from the opposite direction. I hear something and I stand up and I get upset because my wind is blowing directly that direction. And it doesn't take long, and I hear something big blow and jump off. Oh. And it it clicks that that buck was probably bedded somewhere on his own. And I, I assumed he was coming out in the same direction. And with this group of deer, no, he was meeting up with those guys at that destination spot, and he was actually coming from a different direction.
0: Right. So it was almost like he was in a – he was put he put himself in a position to to smell the deer as they walked through which was like a, a an alarm clock for him to get up and go
1: exactly and it and it worked perfect for him oh
0: jesus you know they have small brains and they can't think like us but man through evolution their senses and the way they use their brain and put themselves in positions like that is amazing isn't it
1: Sometimes I think like that, and then sometimes I think like the the lack of use of my brain puts me
0: in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact, dude. The same, same thing yeah. with me. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so you get blown at by something. You don't know what it was uh, at, at uh, last light. Um, did the rest of the deer react to that, or Or did the whole? They
1: had already kind of they had already kind of moved on out of sight. So if they did, I wasn't aware of it.
0: Gotcha. All right, all right. So that night was ruined. What what happened next?
1: So, and I actually took a couple of days off to hunt. So, I I work retail. I the only time I get off, I get two days off a week, and then uh, I get a couple of uh, I get about five to ten vacation days I can take. Not in a row. I can take about five in a row. Yeah. Um, which I I think I did open a weekend. I think I took four or five days in a row. So with everything that happened, and now I know that that deer came from that direction, my next play is to push in farther that direction. And so right behind the timber, there's a dry creek bed, and there's a humongous bank. Uh, I say humongous. It's probably like 10 feet tall uh, and pretty steep. And so I kind of scout my way back there, the direction that this buck came from, and I've looked on Onyx, and uh, I've, I've kind of circled an area where the brush looks thicker than everywhere else. And I I get to this bank, and I see a, just a, a beat-down trail. Uh, and I, I decide that I'm going to pop up on, on just on top of the bank and see what I see. Well, I climb that bank uh, on the downwind side of the trail, you know, because if anything comes on it, I don't want them to smell me. And as soon as I pop up over that bank, uh, I, I'm like right at the edge of that thick stuff, and I'm and I'm there's like two or three trails that converge and I'm like, this is it. I just get a really good feeling about that spot. This is the direction he came from. My wind is still good. Anything in there hasn't smelled me. So I pick out a tree and I set up and nothing happens until right before, uh, light closes. And and it's hot this, uh, this week, this opening week, it is super hot, like 85, 80 degrees the entire week. Um,
0: that sucks, man.
1: So I, yeah. (laughs) So I get up there and uh, right before dark, I hear something coming. So I I get everything ready and it's, uh, I never get to see it, but I I hear a turkey fly up and it flies up on the other side of the creek bed from me. And uh, then I hear another one fly up and I can't see them. There's a lot of foliage in between us and I don't think they can see me. And all of a sudden I hear one of those turkeys putt. And then I hear another one putt. And then I hear another one putt. And there is like 15 turkeys uh, five minutes later putting at me and they never stop and if if there's anyone out there that thinks the deer does not react to a turkey's alarm putt you're in my experience you were wrong yeah. uh i've seen deer like lose their mind when a squirrel starts barking i've seen them just turn around and go the other way when turkeys start putting uh but i'm telling you when 15 of them are doing it you're not seeing nothing the rest
0: that night it, yeah. that's what happened yeah <laughs> all right so that night all right so night one is in that island of trees. You move 150 yards on night two. Night three, how far are you from the second spot?
1: I had probably pushed in about 100 yards farther okay. from that
0: spot. An additional 100 yards. And now you're starting to get away from the hayfield into the timber, right?
1: Yeah, I'm a good, I was a good ways into the timber. Probably 100 yards into the timber from that uh, second spot.
0: Okay, cool. All right, so that night ends. What happens next? So the next morning
1: uh, I try to make an aggressive move because of a wind switch that happened. And I try to go to the other side of that, uh, of that thick, that thick uh, CRP brush tile stuff that was inside of the woods. Yep. Uh, just Creek Creek bottom thick. Um, I try to go to the other side and I'm thinking if he goes in there to bed in the morning, I may make a crack at him because this deer is for sure, you know, had two encounters with me. Well, not two encounters, but I know he smelled me the first night if that was him. And there's no way if he was in there the second night that he didn't at least know I was there, even though I didn't hear him or see him. Yep. So I'm I'm thinking I'm kind of wearing my welcome out here. I'm going to get pretty aggressive. And I, I try to set up for a morning uh, sit uh, coming back to bed. And that ends terribly. I It's so thick in there that I, I can't. And I never end up seeing anything good to set up on. I end up just picking a tree out of spite. Uh, I get beat up, I get cut by thorns and it was just a bad morning. I, I pushed through a lot of brush and I uh, got pretty beat up and end up, I, I ended up sitting somewhere just to sit and just had a, a bad morning.
0: Yeah. So a lot um, of people say you never hunt, you never hunt mornings, you know, don't hunt mornings in early season. Don't hunt mornings. You're just doing damage. I disagree with that because, um, of the fact that you saw deer you went in you made a move on a deer that you knew was in the area and although it didn't work out it's not like you know it could have worked out but it didn't right so um do you feel that you did more damage in that uh, morning hunt than if you would have just stayed out
1: no i've had instances i mean that was a gamble right and it didn't go my way but there's been a ton of other times where it has the only thing I would have changed is, and the older I get, the more I stick to this is I would have waited till gray light. Uh, especially if I'm going into an area that I'm not that familiar with, because you, if you're going to kill a deer in the morning, in my experience, it's not going to be right, right in the morning. It's going to be at nine 30, 10, a little bit later in the morning when they get up and move around. So if I had that to do over, I would have went in in gray light where I could actually maybe see some trails and, uh, and maybe put some eyes on a better tree to have been in
0: okay so did you gain any knowledge or information from that hunt then oh yes
1: tons uh on the way out i uh scouted you know i tried to get out of there quick uh, but i I was looking around when i got out and i found a few more trails that maybe gave me a little bit more insight of how they were entering that specific area
0: okay and do all these trails are they leading to that hayfield?
1: they kind of go everywhere to be honest.
0: Yeah. Th- this, that Creek
1: bed that, that, uh, I'm talking about the, there's a hayfield that butts right up to the road and then behind it, that hayfield kind of cuts off that bigger, uh, hayfield that I was talking about that's separated by three different, uh, sections of CRP. Okay. That Creek, that Creek bed is probably 150 yards wide with the Creek in the middle of it. And it separates those two places. And then there's some timber in there too. So, it, there's trails that kind of crisscross all through there
0: okay all right so the the morning was uh kind of a bust that that day um what happened that night
1: uh, i wasn't able to actually go out that night i think i had to go back to work if i remember right but i was able to squeeze in a hunt that morning
0: Yep. So, you, you... or I had,
1: or I had something going on. Something happened where I wasn't able to hunt that evening. Uh, the next the next time I was actually able to get out was October fourth, okay. and I wasn't actually able to hunt, but I got off work early enough that I was able to drive by and do like an observation type thing. Yep. And I picked I picked that night to do it because it was way colder than normal. And wouldn't you know it? I drive by that first initial spot where I had seen that buck, and he's out there again. Again, but that tells me that I haven't blown him out of the area, uh, which was what I was trying to discern with that drive by. So,
0: yeah. So this is, this is roughly 10 days. No, it would have been like 15th, five. Yeah. Like 10, 10 12 plus days since you, you hunted him last, right? Hunted that area. Yes, sir. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I, I've been in five sits by then.
0: Okay. Five sits by then. And then, uh, um, October 4th, you do the scouting mission. Does that, you know he's back there. What's your play now?
1: Uh, since he's back into that same spot, I the very next day that I'm off, which is the 6th, it is hot as hell. It's went from being like a little frosty on the windows that night that I made a drive-by, it's back to being hot as hell. Okay. But since that deer was in that uh, area two days earlier, I, I have the right wind to hunt that same spot again Uh, and I do with the knowledge that he's coming from the other direction and I push in just a little bit farther, uh, than, than the edge of the timber. I push in far enough that I'm going to intercept that deer from the way he likes to come from the knowledge I have prior, but far enough away from that other group of deer that I shouldn't booger them. Okay. And right before dark, I hear some crunching in the, uh, the creek bed and a group of deer come flying down that embankment across the creek. They go up the little embankment that I'm kind of sitting on and they stop. And I start looking, it, it's, they're far enough away that I'm having a hard time seeing them. So I throw my binoculars up and I start glassing the group. And at the very tail end of that group, that nice buck is sitting there. And there's, there's two bucks that I had seen open in day. There was a, one of them was like a perfect five pointer on one side. And then on the other side, he was an eight, but he had like a split G2 and he had a massive body. And that's the deer that ended up getting run off. The other deer was a a really nice, wide, dark-racked eight-pointer. And uh, that's the one that I ended up killing. But that's the deer that I believe was there that night. And so now that I know that there's a deer there, I get my camera pointed in the right direction. And I kind of turn that way. I get my, uh, my release on my bow. And something isn't right. Those deer aren't downwind of me but maybe some thermals will come into play they can tell something's a little funky uh and some does start stomping their feet there's probably five does uh that that fork horn the spike and then that buck and they're all in one group well a couple of the does kind of bust out a little bit farther up on the embankment that uh i'm on and they stop that buck proceeds to walk right into one of my shooting lanes and start working a licking branch so i draw back real quick while his head's turned and i go to settle my pen and there's a tree in the way oh. um just a, a little a little hickory and so i the setup i have for a safety system uh from when i tried saddle hunting is i have a rock climbing harness and i use my lineman's belt as a tether and so i'm actually kind of facing the tree like you would be in a saddle yeah and so i, I let out a little bit of line and I start to, like, lean back and duck down. And I'm I'm almost ducked down far enough where I can uh, get an angle on this deer, but not quite. And so I lean back in, and I start looking at angles. And I'm like, if I get on my knees in this stand and lean back like I was doing, I can shoot that deer. Because he's just going to town on that licking branch. He has no idea I'm there.
0: What are the does doing at and, this point?
1: Well, I had lost track of a couple of them, which... Will end up being uh, a kick in the nuts later. <laughs> but there's there's a there's a couple of them that are looking around, and then there's a couple that I had lost track of. So I get I, I loosen my uh, tether as much as I can. I'm basically at the very tip of the edge of this platform, and I've still got my crappy the crappy stand, and it's uh it's a, it doesn't have like any leveling to it. So the particular tree that I'm in, it's angled pretty high and back towards the tree. It's not level at all. So I basically got my heels hanging off the edge of the stand, and then I start to lower down, and I get on one knee, and that platform is kind of slick, and there's a big angle, and my other foot kind of slips out from under me. And it is hard, but it's, a little, it's enough movement that one of those does that I lost track of when I felt it that other knee, seen it and boogered out of there. Uh, they didn't stomp or blow or anything. They just, like, bound it away, and yeah. that was enough to make that buck – bound like five or six steps and start looking back. And by then there was too much stuff between me and him. So I didn't end up being able to get a shot off on him that night and, uh, kick myself in the butt pretty hard on that because (laughs) honestly, honestly, if I'd have probably just, I get too aggressive sometimes. And like, if I would have just waited for him to maybe take another step or two, you know, after he was done looking at work, working that licking branch, I may have been able to shoot him, but what was going through in my mind right then is like these other deer are all buggy. He's going to get buggy any second. And when he moves from that licking branch, he's going to bound up the hill just like they did. Yeah. So I kind of rolled the dice on that one, but you kind of have to sometimes.
0: Yeah. Uh, I did the same thing, man. If, if a deer is in shooting lane, like within shooting range, and there's something blocking my shot, I will do whatever I can in the stand at that moment to, you know, get an arrow off because, dude, wind could swirl. Uh, a dough one of those does could have blown and then it would have been over anyway. So I don't think there's anything wrong with, with doing what you did. So,
1: yes, it's kind of one of those scenarios where you may not have much to lose.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that goes down. Then what happens?
1: All right. So I have the next night off and the next, all of my days off have been cold. All of my days, or I'm sorry, all of the days that I've been working have been cold all the days I have off have been <laughs> hot as hell. So the next day, which I believe is the October 11th, uh, and, the, and this going into my seventh sit here, uh, it is hot as hell. So I start looking at the map. I'm like, I have blown this area to smithereens. Like if, if there's anything that's still in there, it probably deserves to live. <laughs> Not really, but um, I start looking at everything and – From prior scouting last year, I knew that about 250 yards away from this uh, creek bed into like the timber where it starts to get out of that creek bed type terrain and it's more like oaks on the side of a ridge, there's a little pond in there and it's really thick. Um, It's kind of surrounded by low hanging cedars. They're not very tall. Uh, You almost have to crawl to get under them. Uh, But There was a lot of good prints and like a lot of historical rubs at this pond. And I'm like, it is hot enough out today that anything that gets up early is probably going to be thirsty. Uh, So I kind of looked at the wind that I had and I had a plan to kind of sneak up next to that pond. And and it's going to be hard to get a tree stand in there. I already know that just because of how thick it is in there. And I know that I'm only going to have like one or two shooting lanes and I'm basically going to be right over the top of anything if they come in. But I really feel like that's where I need to be. So
0: Because of the hot weather, uh, you're thinking they're going to get water.
1: Yep. And the wind that's blowing that day, that that pond is basically at the point of a ridge where they've, someone at some point has built like uh, a wall up on the other side. And they basically made a pond at the end of a drainage that comes off the tip of this ridge. That ridge just happens to be perfect for the wind to blow over it and like something to be bedding up there. And it's really thick on the top. Um, I've had deer bed on that before. In fact, when I was scouting last year, uh, we got a little bit of snow and I went out and was actually able to to find a buck bed just on top of that ridge that kind of overlooks the main entrance to that place. Just like your typical hill bedding scenario where they're bedding on the side of a ridge with the wind coming over that ridge and they're overlooking the main entrance. So I know for a fact stuff beds on that ridge from time to time. I happen to have a good wind for something to be bedding on that ridge, and if something's bedding on that ridge, it is only like a 50, 60 yard walk for them to come over to this pond and get a drink. So to me, that seems to be the only good play that I have for that day. So I start sneaking in there. I find uh, as soon as I get actually into the woods and, and to the edge of those cedars, I find a really, really uh, well-used trail. And there's some scat in it. I don't know if it's buck or doe scat, but it's big. So it gets my attention. And I'm actually a little bit upset with myself because I do not want to cross this thing. Uh, so I end up jumping over it. I don't know if that helped or hurt. Uh, and then I kind of parallel it up this hill. And I, I start at the top of the hill, and I work my way down into, like, this small opening. That's where this little pond is. And this pond isn't very big. It's maybe 10 acres by 10 – or not 10 acres, 10 yards by 10 yards. Yep. So it's pretty small, not very deep. Uh, and I'm looking at trees to set up in, and there's a a trail where I expect deer to come in from that basically runs right along the bank of this thing. There's one tree I can set up in that's literally right over it. There's a tree a little bit farther up the hill that's a big oak. I can, I can barely get my straps around it. I'm thinking, uh, but it's got a couple of windows I can shoot that same trail from. Plus I'm not right on it. It may give me some wiggle room. And so I pick that tree. That tree splits about 10 foot up, so I only end up sitting about eight foot off the ground. But it's big, and I have some good back cover. I end up putting my camera arm in a rotten branch that's coming off of that split. And it ended up being quite the ordeal to get into that tree, too, because that tree was leaning towards the direction I needed to put my sticks in order to hide them from anything that was going to be coming in. Um, Whenever I set up for something like that, I try to put my sticks on the side of the tree that the deer won't be coming from. I try to set myself up where my left side is going to be to that position, which I wasn't actually able to do in this scenario. So I've got the trail to my right and, uh, I get set up and the sun is just killing me. It, it hasn't set behind that ridge yet. And for the next hour, I pour sweat because that sun is just hitting me right in the face yeah. and it's miserable out. There's mosquitoes that are kicking my ass. And, uh, I, I start having doubts. I'm like, you're crazy to be out here. And uh, right about an hour before dark, I end up seeing two button bucks that, that picture perfectly come right on that trail, walk right through those shooting lanes, hang out for a second, get a drink, and then they leave. And I'm like, man, if I can get something a little bit bigger to do that, I'll be in business. Yep. And right before dark, I hear something coming in the water. It's coming from the opposite direction, but it gets me looking that way. And I end up looking down into my right where those same button bucks had came from, and I see a deer standing there. And I can tell he's got antlers. And my first thought is, because it's starting to get a little bit dark now, I probably got 15 minutes of shooting light left. My first thought is, uh, I better throw the binoculars up and see if see if that's a deer I want to shoot. And then I immediately tell myself, Matt, you dumbass, if you can see antlers in the woods at this time of day from that far away, that's a good buck. And so I'm like that all goes through my head pretty fast. So I point my camera that way. I turn my second camera on, I get my bow in my hands and I get turned around. Cause that deer is to my right. And he he starts walking right along the edge of that trail and he gets close to one of my shooting lanes. And before he actually steps in it, like as he starts that step, I kind of blat at him to stop and he's at probably 15 yards and he completely ignores me. And so I blat again, a little bit louder And he finally stops just on the other side of that shooting lane. And there's a small sapling, like right in the way of where I need it to be. So I, again, find myself trying to shoot, you know, from a crouch, because like I start leaning forward and crouching a little bit, seeing if I can like will an arrow around this little sapling. Well, I eventually get an angle that I'm comfortable with. And I let one loose and it, (laughs) it hits him a little bit high and a little bit back. I actually have the video on, uh, on my YouTube channel, but it hits him a little bit high and a little bit back. And he jumps out into like the middle of, of what this little pond is. And, uh, I ended up spine shooting that deer and put an, it, put another arrow in him like super quick. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how night seven ended.
0: So, it, but you got him. Yeah, got him. Yeah, you got him. And uh, so, I mean, that's an awesome story of staying persistent and and not just like giving up at any point and and continue. You know, like there's a little bit of luck involved, right? You you drove around, you saw this deer. Okay, you identified all the right terrain features. You uh, you did what any guy would have, any an, anybody, any good hunter would have done. Right? Um, you you went out there again after all the days off, right? You spot him again, you pick up right where you left off. and what? two days later after that, it, this was October 11th when you shot him? Yes, sir. Yep. October 11th when you shot him and uh, got the job done. and you stayed right on his ass the whole time. And was this the buck that you saw in the Hayfield from night that like preseason?
1: Yes, Uh, I've actually got a video from opening day, and I actually get really decent footage of this buck, and it's kind of cool to go back and watch that now because I've got that footage from opening day where he runs the littler buck off of, and then there's a cool shot in there where he's feeding and he sticks his head up, and he's just a really wide-racked older eight-pointer with uh, pretty dark antlers, and that's the exact same deer uh, that I ended up taking on the 11th.
0: Oh man, that's awesome. That is a, that's an awesome story. And, um, I hope everybody who's listening to this, you know, when you can, you know, have the, ha, do what, what a guy does. Sometimes you can't do what you did, but, um, staying on and being mobile. This is, this is the perfect story of going after an animal and getting the job done on it. Uh, congratulations, man. Thanks.
1: I've been following along with your season too. And, the South Dakota trips and then uh, the story of your bow buck. That was all really awesome stuff too.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, Number one, congratulations. Thanks for taking time uh, to come on the podcast and and share your story. And, you know, just, just so everybody knows, man, these stories, if you really listen to them, you can take away a lot of how, you know, how Matthew, how you went and, you know, you played that chess match with these deer and you ended up winning. And uh there's a lot of information that a, a a novice can take out of this and say, Oh man, or even someone who's experienced and who's got a lot of deer under their belt. And, you know, there's 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 a good story here. And I really like that. So thank you very much. Uh and good luck in twenty twenty, man.
1: Hey, good luck to you too, Dan.
0: And there you have it. Huge shout out to Matthew. Congrats on an awesome deer and an awesome hunt with an awesome story. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on. Huge shout out to each and every one of you. Hopefully, you guys found the success that that you you wanted or that you set for yourself before the season started this year. If not, hopefully, you took something away from the 2020 season to allow you to be a better hunter and make better decisions and. Be more successful in the future man um, that's a that's a big part of hunting I have uh, my three year old in the office with me today because of a schedule change so I'm trying to do this all while, <laughs> while he's, while he's uh, being quiet but it's not working uh, and that's it, huge shout out to all of you, thank you, please go out and support the uh, companies that support this podcast and that is the Average Conservationist, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Vortex wasp ozonix and uh, that's it man please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast and lastly go out and subscribe to the nine finger chronicles podcast Uh, follow me on instagram and facebook and that is (laughs) and that is nine finger chronicles on both places have a good weekend and we'll talk to you next time
1: (music) Thank <music> you.